It's car con carne. Let's eat in the car. It's car con carne. And it is Car Cone Carne, minus the car, minus the carne. Uh, here we are in quarantine. I'm James Van Osdell, and Car Cone Carne sponsored tonight by Happy to Meet You, Chicago's online butcher shop, Happy to Meet You. Basically, they serve the same steaks, the cuts, the chicken, the pork chops that you get in the Chicago steakhouses in the big, fancy, high-end restaurants that you go to, except they deliver it to your home. They just come to your door next day, local, contactless delivery. And as we're all spending a lot more time at home, and that's what's been asked of us, why not have meat come to you? If you're planning dinners, Happy to Meet You is who you should be calling or actually reaching out to through their website, happy to meet meatu.com. Every order placed with my promo code, Carne, C A R N E, includes free local delivery and a pound of their Mother Chucker burgers, which are these gorgeous, thick uh, burger patties. That's free with my promo code Carne, C A R N E. And if you really want to load up the fridge or if not the freezer, uh, all orders over $150 using the promo code Temp get a free ThermoWorks super fast pocket meat thermometer. That's free. Again, Carne for the free overnight local or next day local delivery. Temp for the thermometer. Happy to meet you.com. Do it this week. That's when my promo code is good for. Do it now or forever. Hold your meat. My guest tonight. He is one of the most prolific artists of our time beyond his early work in the 90s with Ministry and the Revolting Cox. His solo discography now stretches well beyond 20 releases. He is the fantastic Chris Connolly. Uh, his new album, the one with the goth AF name, Graveyard Sex, is exceptional. Chris, it's lovely to see you. Thank you for doing this. Hi. Good to see you too, man. So is this album number 22? I think so, 20. yeah. Yeah. You stop counting after a while. <laughs> I mean, you, you have to. Do. <laughs> are, are you one of those people who always has to keep busy? Um, I'm, I'm not sort of, I, I don't know if I'm a workaholic or anything like that, but I, I, I do, I am prolific uh, creatively speaking, but there are stretches of time where I'm not. Uh, I tend to write fast when I'm writing, I'm writing and it's focused and fast. Uh, I'm trying to, as I get older, set aside time to sit and just, sort of read you know um just have quiet time uh i think it's important i I, you know i'm i have a job i'm a father of two and i i have a busy busy life um which is not as busy as it used to be i'm not playing gigs anymore right well you, you mentioned reading i mean to me when i listen to your lyrics you're a guy who is more inspired by literature than perhaps what other musicians are doing you're taking your cue from books more than anything else. I do read a lot. Um, and I, I've always loved uh, reading language. I mean, reading the English language. Um, and, uh, you know, um, I, I don't think I'm as well read as as some. I'm, a, I'm not as well read as people with more time. Uh, but uh, I, I always have uh, a number of books on the go. Um, and I'm always sort of exploring writing, if you like, like trying different, uh, trying different genres and, uh, reading poetry or whatever, you know, for, for, 
for whatever you get out of it. Um, and I do find that that kind of stuff translates into my music, but I'm a songwriter, you know, I'm not, uh, although I have written books, I, I, I don't think that, I think my brain is more geared to sort of between three and six minutes in a song. When it comes to reading, are you old school? Do you like to have a book in your hand, a hardcover, or have you advanced to reading off a tablet or even your phone? Oh, um, I, I, I got a Kindle a few years ago and it didn't work for me at all. Um, I tried it and it just frustrated me. I didn't like it. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I understand that that's a great thing, especially sort of if you're a touring musician, I think if I toured more, I would definitely use the Kindle. Uh, but when I used to go on tour, I'd have, you know, a lot of heavy books in my luggage all the time. Um, but I read and then I'll recycle, I'll pass them on or whatever. So, you know, and I use the library a lot as well. Yeah, when, I've been, when I I've can been, go to the library. I, I've been walking around a lot. I just going for long walks during the pandemic just to kind of clear my head, get some exercise. I swear more than I've ever noticed before are those libraries people put up in front of their homes, yeah. like the like the boxes where you could just help yourself to a book. It's like a sharing library. Yeah. I love that. And I feel I like I'm seeing too. that now more than ever. Yeah. It's really good. Some people put food in there as well. You want to know something? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> want to know something cool? So recently, um, maybe last year or so, you know, um, I was th throwing stuff out, giving clothes to, you know, donating them or whatever. And I have a lot of uh, my old albums. <laughs> so, I went around with my daughter in a car around uh, Oak Park where I live and I just put handfuls of my CDs in these little free libraries. And so my son came back from being out with his friends one day, dad, look what I found. And he had a handful of my records. I was like, That's yeah, amazing. I know. I put them there. <laughs> now you, you, you're the kind of artist. You don't like looking backward. Like you don't like listening to your old stuff. Do you? No. I don't, it's not that I don't like it. It's just, I don't do it. I just, I, it's, it's not necessary unless I'm learning a song or something like that, but I, I don't reference it very much. Well, it was interesting earlier this year, not that long ago, um, a live performance from the shipwreck era. I mean, this is yeah. early in your solo career turned up on Bandcamp. What kind of emotions did that kick up for you as you went back and listened to that set, which is a really good set. Oh boy, that was uh, that was amazing because I had not heard that band live uh, since that time. I had not. There were very few recordings of these shows, and and this was one of them that uh, Josh Roberts, our our, our uh, sound engineer, made, and I never heard it. And I got back in touch with uh, uh, an old friend of mine who gave it to me and uh, I, I think that's what happened anyway um i couldn't believe it and i couldn't believe what a great band i had on stage with me and uh you know these shows were it was a troubled tour it was a difficult tour but the, the shows were great the dynamite so that was really fun to listen to but it was a one listen you know and that's that I, it's weird. It's a sort of chasing your own tail syndrome. Like I don't sort of existentially know why I would listen to myself. I don't know the reason. 
I don't dislike myself, but I don't know that it's, it's to me, it's like standing in front of a mirror for a long time. I mean, it's, I get it. I mean, right? I've been, I've been in radio forever. I've been podcasting for a long time. Right. I don't go back and listen to myself. It, it feels weird. Yeah, it does. It does. Well, you mentioned the band that played with you on that shipwreck live. Saul Snyder, William Tucker, Jonathan Melvoin, Bill Rieflin. Let's let's use that as a way to talk about the new album. Let's talk oh, about yeah. let's talk about Graveyard Sex again, album number 20 something. Um, first of all, you recorded this at home. Yeah. You must have cool neighbors. Um, I'm not very loud. <laughs> I do have cool neighbors, but I'm not very loud. Um, you know, the loudest thing that I record is my voice. And on Graveyard Sex, it's it's fairly understated, really. And everything else I've got headphones on for. And there's no soundproofing. I'm actually sitting right now in the, the Rock Noir, which is my studio, uh, which is in the basement. And I do everything really, really early in the morning and no, nobody's complained. So <laughs> fair. All right. So this is a highly emotional, highly personal album. Tell me about Bill, who really inspired this. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I started uh, the album. The genesis of the album was uh, we had talked, Bill and myself, who Bill lived in Seattle, and uh, we had talked about getting together and uh, making some new music. And he, he was very sick at that time. And this must have been about a year ago. And uh you know, I said, what, whatever you want to do, let's do it. Let's try it. I'll come out for a long weekend or something like that. And, you know, it never happened because he, he got steadily more uh, ill and more tired and uh, things like doing chemo would wipe him out. And then there would be that time we couldn't work together. It would have been sort of pointless for me to come out. Um, anyway, I, I started working up some frameworks of songs, some ideas to take with me, which I had done before when we worked together. When we did the Largo record, I, I sketched out a few things, some guitar chords, some structures, and uh, we worked from there. And it was really good fun because we would take an idea and then play with it. I mean, literally play with it. We played musical games with it and we had a great time. And that was kind of the idea, like, let's just have some really good fun. Um, and, you know, we ended up not doing it, like I said. And so um, I kept working on them. They were developing ideas. And eventually the album became, lyrically, there was a lot of, there's a lot of him in the lyrics and and in the musical phrases that reference things that he and I loved, uh, little sort of musical jokes that he would get. My 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 plan, sadly, was to let him hear it, you know, and say, hey, you know, and, you know, he died really quickly. Uh, I mean, really soon after I'd finished. I mean, I don't think I'd quite finished, really. It was in March. And, um, you know, he did not get to hear it. It's funny, the day the day Bill died, uh, I did, hadn't known, I didn't know he died. And I was talking on the phone with uh, our friend, Chris Bruce. Chris produces my records. And Chris said, 
because we were frustrated. We couldn't go and visit Bill. He was, you know, it was COVID. It was so, we couldn't go to the hospital. We couldn't fly to Seattle. We couldn't do anything. What could we do? And Chris said, let's record a song for him and, you know, send it to him. He can listen to it on his phone. I I thought about it and I went out for a run and uh, I thought of the best idea. And uh, I know I'm getting way off topic here, but anyway, I wanted, me and Bill have always had this running joke about the song Disco Mystic by Lou Reed from the album The Bell. So it was Lou Reed's disco song and it's really dark and strange. And I came home and I was about to call Chris and say, let's do Disco Mystic for Bill. And I got the call uh, at that oh. moment, you know, at that moment to tell me that Bill had uh, passed away. Um, anyway, uh, that's an aside, which I think, which I find an amusing aside. He would have loved it, you know. Um, so, yeah, the album went from being a potential collaboration between myself and Bill and it became its own thing it became another chris conley solo album but it's riddled with references to bill and i think that they're very subtle not many people get them and i don't mind talking about them they're not hidden or anything like that they're just little silly jokes and phrases like uh i reference a john cale song in in one of the songs not through words but through music um uh, i reference the song helen of troy which was one of me and Bill's favorites. That's so cool. For example. So you actually cover a Nico song as well. Like the entire world of the Velvet Underground is in some way represented here. Uh, But as you talk about Lou Reed, I I think about Lou Reed's album that came out in the early 90s, Magic and Loss, which was- One of my favorite albums. uh, It it takes your breath away when you listen to it. It it, it talks about facing death of, of friends and- all the emotions, some are, are dark, other songs are celebratory. I, I kind of looked at your new album through that filter of how you approach songwriting coming from kind of a similar place that Lou Reed was in in the early 90s. Is that a fair comparison? I think it's a very fair p- comparison. That that album was, is a very important record for me. And I mean, you know, I'm a lifelong Lou Reed fan for sure. Uh, but when that record came out, I just felt this... I think that was the first time in a sense where I realized how seriously good of a songwriter Lou Reed was because he took his craft and in one hand and took this emotion in the other hand and with this humanity managed to create something and within the confines of a three minute pop song really get that feeling across and it's not a singular feeling it's a sort of three-dimensional feeling because he looks at it from the friend the patient he looks at it through his own lens of the bereaved and he looks at it in a sort of uh in, in a sense of past in what the patient's life was before they were sick. And also through Lou Reed's lens too, where he will reference that mix of morphine, morphine and methadrine. We use it on the street. You know, that kind of thing was just so, he's still so cool, you know? Um, 
so yeah that was a very important record and uh absolutely one of my favorite albums i remember i think i saw him uh, at the airy crown on that mm-hmm. tour and it was one of those performances where you could have hear, heard a pin drop yeah as he was doing those songs it's stunning yeah. but the that aside, talking about the new album, uh, which is a stunning personal work, you said at the beginning of this interview, your work here is understated or maybe something along those lines. My I, voice I think, is understated, I think. I don't think so at all. I, I think you're really going for it on some of these songs. Um, <laughs> an infinite last wish. You hold a note at the end of this song that I, I think is pretty damn impressive. Oh, right. Yeah. See, now here's one of the things about me. I don't remember anything about the music I do. Like you were talking about, do I listen to my old records? And I I have no idea how I wrote these songs, but I know I did. And I also have no real memory of recording them. So when you say something like that, I'll say, oh yeah, I did. But I have no real context for the album once it's done. I just, it's just this sort of cool shape that I own. It's strange. It's like, I, the I mu- it's like the I, I, muse I, I, inhabits your body or something. When I'm writing, I am absolutely in a different zone. It's a great feeling when I'm on a roll. It's this energy and this sort of like um, euphoric feeling, but there's no time. I listened to an interview recently with someone and they were talking about two kinds of time in greek there's chronos and there's krinos chronos is chronological time it's the clock you know i've got to be at work in an hour krinos is deep time and that is a time that is not necessarily moving and when i heard that i was like well that's that feels like where i write in my life Um, because I don't have any kind of framework or context to put it in after it's done. It's just like I went out and got blackout drunk and came back with these songs, you know, it's, it's so, so strange. And I don't, I don't question it. It's just the way it works. So when you talk about the songs, I'm, I'm like, I have a copy here so I can like, all right, (laughs) that, (laughs) But it, someone on the Facebook Live, Laurie just said he gets into the zone. It's like athletes when they're out on the field. I mean, they kind of yeah. turn everything else off and they're just in it. And that's yeah. what you're describing. Yeah. And it's a really wonderful feeling. And I, I feel very uh, privileged to have it. And I mean, I, I've not always felt like that. but And I think it's like sort of meditation. You have to sort of practice and practice and practice and i wasn't willfully practicing i just um i've done enough stuff now i've made enough songs that that's where i go and my body sort of physically knows what shape it's going to be when i do it and like i said earlier in the interview i'm not busy all the time when i'm not writing music i'm like it's fine i don't care i don't stress out about not writing music i know when it's time i'll just start getting this itch and I'll sit down and play and it will happen. And then it's done, you know. Lyrics aside and your specific vocal performances aside, there are a couple of musical things I keyed in on on the new album that I really liked. I hope you remember them. Um, on Silk Balloon, the way the keys and the drums work together, it almost creates like a, a mounting or, or soaring aesthetic to the song. Right. 
So the the keys I did, and then Chris Bruce programmed these drums underneath it, uh, but it has a sort of buoyancy to it. Yes. Yeah, because in the lyrics, there's uh, I think there's even allusions to falling up a cliff or the balloon floating up a cliff, uh, you know, um, but yeah, that, 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 that's, that, that song has, has an imagery to it. I, I enjoy, I enjoyed that very much because it's one of these songs I did that sort of like is in two halves and it sort of changes at a certain point And it's like somebody pulling a curtain and there's another background there. You know. at, the very, at the very end of the album, looking for a coda, uh, the focal point is unquestionably your voice. But digging a little bit deeper, the keyboard sounds on that they sound like uh, like an old black and white horror movie. <laughs> the sounds they make, like I, I could be watching something from like 1962 and like this eerie mounting keyboard sound. That's um, it's a guitar synthesizer. It sounds so cool. Yeah, it's a fun toy. I think everybody should have one. I have a guitar synthesizer uh, right here. And, you know, you, you plug it into an echo unit and, you know, why leave the house? <laughs> That's the best part about lockdown. <laughs> That's right. So I, the album, again, is Graveyard Sex, uh, the most goth name ever. And the cover, <laughs> of course, is a play on Roxy Music's Country Life. Yeah, cover. Yeah, with the, the two hot models laying in the grass. Right. Uh, this is your spin. Uh, not the first time you've, you've gone to the Brian Brian Ferry well for titles I or know. inspiration. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, the Tide Strip Bear. Yeah, wasn't all that exactly. Long ago. Exactly. So on this one, um, you know, me and Bill talked about Roxy music endlessly. And um, one of my favorite things that one of my favorite things to do with Bill and any one of his friends will tell you that sitting down with a record he loved and listening to it, you know, and pointing out things and listening to things. And um, I remembered being on tour with Ministry and we had a cassette of Brian Ferry's album um, In Your Mind, uh, which is just, I think it's my favorite Brian Ferry solo album. It's just a brilliant record. And we sat down and listened to it. But Country Life was Bill's favorite Roxy album, and uh, that that that's why this uh, sleeve was um, generated. With that him makes sense. I, I one of my favorite Country Life memories back when you could listen to your personal music devices on a plane before takeoff. I remember one of my first trips I took on a plane by myself. I was listening to Country Life. It was I had to have been a cassette Walkman, and out of the blue kicked in just as the plane was taking off. Wow. And it's it's one of those moments that you will always associate music with a memory. Yeah. For me, whenever I hear out of the blue, I, I, I'm taking off from O'Hare, heading to Kansas City. <laughs> yeah, what, and as far as Roxy music goes, I could listen to Mother of Pearl every day for the rest of my life. And still I know, retire. easily. <laughs> easily. All right, yeah. so back to, back to you, Chris Connolly. Mm. Thinking back... Long ago, uh, you rang in the 1990s at the Riviera playing with ministry. It was yeah. the mind is a terrible thing to taste tour. Beer steers and queers came out that year to people who are watching uh, on Facebook as this is being recorded or who are listening. These are the moments of legend. How does it feel to you? Does that seem like a million years ago, a million different lifetimes ago? 
Yeah, it, it 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 does. It seems like a long time ago. I I definitely feel that there's um, you know, there's a strong. I have a strong connection to that time, but I have to look at it in the context of anyone else uh, in their you know in their middle years. I'm 56 now, and uh, if I was another person who was 56, what what were you doing at 23 uh, in in 1989 you know going out raving or something like that and that was then everybody had a different life back then yeah really no matter what um things change M- mine was uh I, I, I suppose it, it, it was highlighted because of what I was doing. And it's a very odd kind of different life. And at the time, I think what I like about it most is the sort of rude awakening of me coming from Edinburgh and just sort of landing by parachute in the middle of this cocaine hell <laughs> and going, where am I? Um, and sort of having to, I mean, having sort of learned on the fly how things are done and like not really it's not anyone's fault I mean I was in a rock band I didn't expect anyone to hold my hand and say you know here's how you call a cab in America or here's what you do and don't pee on the street in front of a cop or whatever um so that time was very uh I was very much an ingenue I was very green uh but I was also really game for anything, you know, and um, I had to learn really quickly what to do, what to take, how to take it. And um, it was it was quite surreal in a sense. My connection to it now, I mean, I, I have stuff, you know, from that era, like, but it's not, it doesn't bear any relevance to life now sure except when we trot out a a revolting cock show when we could do that like you know but that felt so different when we when we reformed a few years ago and when i rejoined ministry for a short time it felt different it felt good it was a good vibe it was actually a lot better of a vibe than it was back then back then it was just crazy um and now it's sort of like well we can do this music and it's controlled and we can actually enjoy ourselves and watch people having a good walk down memory lane, such as it is. <laughs> well, and isn't it interesting? Here you are at the age of 56. The new album talks about or discusses the fragility of life. Yeah. And it looks death square in the eye. And back in those days, you were invulnerable. You were, yeah. you were a wild and reckless kid in, yeah. in Sodom and Gomorrah, parachuted yeah. into Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And still, you know, if you think about it, it's funny because the sort of um, the expectations, in a sense, were to write about the misanthropic and write about death and blood and sharpen your fangs or whatever. And and but back then it was way more sort of uh, um, comic booky in it in, in a bit in sure. a way. And I mean there was. There was definitely with ministry, you know, it was definitely a political thing as well. That was that was that was the ministry thing. It was very much about uh, 
taking influence from politics, but things like the revolting Cox and all the other things we had were all very sort of misanthropic and, uh, you know, you know what I'm saying. Now the focus is life and accepting that death is definitely part of life. And how do we reconcile that? One more revolting Cox related thing. It still blows my mind that Do You Think I'm Sexy was worked by Reprise Records to Modern Rock Radio. And that was, I mean, the KY Jelly, everything about that. What, what, it, what an anarchistic single for yeah. a major label to put out there. Yeah, I know. I know. And we, you know, that KY Jelly idea, I just said it for a joke. I just said to the record company, oh, you should package it in KY Jelly. And they were like, okay, you know, <laughs> and they did it. And, and it was a great idea. And uh, what can I say? Um, that was, uh, I mean, everything about that. So, and Rod Stewart hated it. You of course. Know. <laughs> of course he did, as he should. <laughs> and um, yeah, everything about it was so messed up up like we made this video and i think we spent more money on the video than we did on the whole album and you know it was just ridiculous and then no one would play the video and one of the brothers were so mad at us all the time they were always mad at us for whatever reason and um yeah and it came and actually i think it got into the top 60 in the uk and it's ridiculous i mean how does that happen it's so silly. the 90s that's how it happens yeah that's, yeah that's the 90s all right chris Connolly. the new album is graveyard sex i yeah. this is not an understated performance this is a stirring highly emotional uh just it, it's a powerful work from you thank i know you. you'll never listen to it again we will we'll keep listening to it thank you on your behalf i do want to thank everyone who's been watching this as we recorded it live much appreciated for you who've been watching on Facebook. Uh, support this man. Support his music. He is Chris Connolly. And uh, thank you for watching.